I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show i can't join your professional network (laughs) (laughs) so many so many so many damn books Okay, so hello and welcome to So Many Damn Books. I am Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Amelia Gray with us in the damn library. I'm hello. so happy. Hi, guys. <laughs> How's it going? Good. So glad you could make it. Um, we want to tell the listeners that you're the author of several books, including AMPM Museum of the Weird, Threats, and Gutshot. Um, your fiction essays have appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Tin House, and Vice. And you've been a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction and won the New York Public Library Young Lions Fiction Award and the FC2 Ronald Suknik Innovative Fiction Contest and live in Los Angeles. It's all true. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, you're good. (laughs) You're not lying on your own bio. We're starting off Oh, I'm the other Amelia Gray. No, no, that's the other. There actually is a, there's a romance writer named Amelia Gray. Oh. She lives in Florida and it's not her real name. Hmm. So we're enemies. Are you guys friends? No. No. <laughs> enemies. We're enemies, yeah. Oh, wow. No, I, I I once proposed to her that I interview her and she was like it was like it was like short answer, no, long answer, no. <laughs> she works a lot harder than I do though. The romance game is is tough. I gotta oh. pump those things out. They're right and right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like everybody in the in the in writing industry, books industry, has been like, I'll be a romance writer. It'll be fun. I'll make you know, I'll make some money to finance my art. And then you realize well, you really need to believe in it. Yeah. No, yeah. you have to know how that. to, how to feel that love. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's not like just like a job in finance, which like go ahead and get a job in finance and finance what you love. Mm-hmm. Writing romance is like a whole, whole that's new. not gonna. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't envy the ghost writing biz. It seems like a strange and, and, and fascinating, but labyrinthian mm. world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, I don't envy anybody. Let me tell everybody what we're drinking here. This delicious, refreshing, oh yeah, bluish greenish cocktail. Mm. Yeah. It's called Underwater, and uh, I it is based on Isadora, your fantastic new novel. Thank you. Basically, I, I wanted to use something with kombucha in it because um, the character in uh, Isadora, the main character, she is uh, she sort of has a vinegary uh, personality. So I wanted that sort of flavor. So I did a, a cocktail with vodka galliano, which is like an Italian liqueur. It's herbal um, and it has a little anise in it. And then a ginger kombucha. 
and then orange and pineapple juice, and of course a little bit of blue curacao to try to. I was trying to turn it the blue of the cover. Oh yeah. And it didn't work. Right, right. Too much. <laughs> it was a valiant effort. Well, yeah. the thing is, is, if I really wanted to turn it blue, our mouths would be like it'd be mm. like we had just like spent like a while uh, licking blue lollipops. Oh, which wouldn't have been a bad idea. <laughs> oh, a <laughs> cocktail is a lollipop. <laughs> Just a blue Jolly Rancher. Here's your cocktail. Uh, Ooh. Thank you. <laughs> it's delicious. It's the perfect cocktail for a summer day in the off season yes. on the Italian coast, I think. Oh. That's my blurb for it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Print that out. I will. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's the drink. It's delicious. Thank you. I'm so happy right now. Good. Let's switch gears and talk about things we bought, books we bought. Uh, Drew, do you want to tell us about books you spent money on? Sure. Um, I this is one of those times where I didn't spend the money. Oh. Uh, I never mind. That. I reached out to this new UK publisher, One Door Editions, W U N D O R, because uh, I saw a cover of Steve Himmer's Scratch, wow. which I wanted to get uh, for my spooky October reading list. Ooh. But I saw just a really cool cut, and I was like, oh. Who are you guys? Where did you come from? I saw this cover. I'm I'm gonna try to send my sister over to the UK to pick it up. Uh, but also, I'd love to see what else you guys are working on. And they sent me *The Waking* by Matthew Smith, uh, which is a debut novel, and *Cain* by Sam Bully Thomas, which mm. is a collection of poems about the sugarcane industry. Oh, and uh, they're just like they're beautiful looking books. It's an indie publisher, and it's that sort of thing where every once in a while when you don't know what is coming, you end up being uh, pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. Mm. So, yeah, I'm excited about those. That's awesome. Uh, Amelia, how about you? What have I bought? I... I mean, I recently I bought I bought Patricia Lockwood's Priest Daddy, and I bought The Idiot, that Elf Bauman book, which I'm excited for both. Yeah, Yeah. that Um, Priest Daddy cover, huh? No kidding. Very good. (laughs) Very freckly. um, (laughs) But then I I, uh, I also, I long ago, two or three years ago, uh, Adam Robinson at Publishing Genius sent me a galley of this Madeline Fitch collection called Valparaiso Round the Horn um, that he recommended up and down and, and which I then intended to read and then didn't read for three years and then finally picked it up and it's incredible and i love a good short story and these are these are up there with in my mind the the lucia berlin collection and Mm, even like which which i thought was up there with dennis johnson so it's like you know great short stories great short stories and um so i had the i had the galley obviously and so I bought the book for my friend Susan Ooh. because it was kind of like, a, you know, I, when you love a book so much, you start feeling guilty you didn't spend money on it, yeah. which is yeah. a rare but good condition. Yeah. So yeah. I like to like pay it forward, like wow. buy somebody pancakes, send them a book. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, Christopher? Um, I, uh, I actually, I bought a book on a recommendation um, of, I think actually, a, a, you know, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Sasha Fletcher, told me him. to uh, buy... Uh, Ika Kurniawa's Beauty is a Wound. Oh. Um, which is this, apparently this Indonesian, like, epic of violence and beauty and 
the words that people use to describe this book are just like polyphony and just like cool like crazy uh so i'm very very excited this guy is uh titles things really well hmm. uh this author yeah what's it, uh, wound yeah, he wrote man tiger uh-huh. but then what's the other one that's it's like uh yeah something something about vengeance yeah vengeance is mine all others pay cash yeah. or something <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> I want that bumper sticker. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really excited to check this out, though. It seems like it's going to be pretty great. Nice. We bought some good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it's good buying. It's nice when it's a good haul. Why don't we switch from things we bought into things we also read? Indeed. And one person in this room wrote. Oh, your book. Oh, it's my book. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's your book. <laughs> okay, we can talk um, about it. Yeah. yeah, Isadora. Uh, will you tell our listeners about the book? Sure. So Isadora Duncan was the mother of modern dance. She would find that categorization to be a little bit small. Uh, <laughs> she thought very highly of herself and um, uh, was, an, was an ingenue, was teaching dance when she was nine, traveled to give her first lecture on dance when she was 19 in Berlin. And and um, by the time she was 37, when I take up this book, she had two different children with two different lovers. She lived this extravagant champagne-soaked life and was kind of at the top of her game. And right at the kind of apex of her career, uh, her two children drowned in the River Seine. They drowned with their nurse. And this kind of kicks off a year and a half of grieving and of uh, moving through Greece and Italy and, and, and Paris. And, and it's kind of a um, like expansive grief meditation. It's mm-hmm. a um, lighthearted comedic romp. <laughs> it's a super sad book. Um but I, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to take this idea and look at it at all angles and um, and and that's that's what I've got. So she's she's an interesting character. I didn't know anything really about Isadora when I started writing the book, except for how she died. And oh. um, yeah, so it was a big undertaking. I wasn't exactly coming to it as an expert or even as like a mid range kind of knowledgeable person. That's intriguing. Um, I mean, I know that historical fiction has these conventions that mm. you sort of. Or that a lot of books in that genre, I guess, follow. Um, were you like bucking convention or like were you using anything of those as like guides to continue? I mean, I was, I, 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 when I was writing the book, I wanted to really focus on this one piece of her life. And she had such a broad and multifaceted life in and kind of like lived in eras a little bit herself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I wanted to really, um, keep myself to one piece of her life. And so when I, when I researched her, I tried to keep myself to just that year and a half of her life. And instead of reading about the kind of large global things that were happening, I really, I wanted to read like newspapers that came out that day because mm. I never really got the sense that Isadora read a lot of the paper. She really liked <laughs> Nietzsche. She and she kept, she slept with, with some Nietzsche under her pillow. But, you know, other people were interested in what was happening in the world. So I I would read that. And and I guess Bucking Convention or not, it was it was kind of the way that I wanted to write the book because personally when I you know, I can go down any kind of tech 
I, I can go down any kind of rabbit hole using the internet. You know, I can I can Wikipedia, you know, Three's Company and read every <laughs> single recap of Three's Company and figure out what what everybody else did and and then read everybody's death story. How did they die? And <laughs> and then like what was oh man, what did his wife think when he died? And then read about her life and you know one of those things. So so in writing about Isadora, a, a huge figure with a huge personality and a big long story, I really wanted to like keep myself to just one little piece of her life. Hmm. Hmm. I'm curious about where this came from for you. I think that, that fans of yours, uh, among which I think we count ourselves, mm-hmm. it, it was star- it was startling to so, go from your sort of weirder, fa- like Threats is a pretty strange book, Gutshot yeah. has these amazingly taut short strange stories mm-hmm. and then it's like and now historical fiction about Isadora Duncan <laughs> a 400 page historical novel about Isadora Duncan great and it, and it is well and it's um it's looser too yeah. like it felt it yeah. feels a lot looser that is, I mean of course a short story is taught by design yeah um but I, I wondered if um if like going into the past sort of opened that up for you right oh yeah two good questions i'll try to straddle them Uh, (laughs) it was um i was in toronto when i started writing the book and i was writing about it girls uh for a magazine and um the more i learned about isadora which i i kind of knew the the large thing of her life the death and the basic dance stuff i've never studied dancer was even all that interested in it other than like as a casual admirer and um but then I, I saw that how the children died and then some some kind of I don't know, I guess an artist thing clicked and I I th- thought like, well, you know, I, I thought to myself with much curiosity and empathy, like what would, would what would that last meal feel like? Mm. That last lunch that they have before Paris goes to work and Isidore goes to the studio to recline and and uh, and the children go to die. And um and so I wrote that kind of just organically out of curiosity. Mm. And and then after that, and that was the first, that's the first scene of the book. And then the next scene is, you know, Paris taking care of the, of the arrangements and things. And the, and so it just kind of snowballed in the way that whenever I sit down and say like, oh, now is the time that I'm going to write a great novel. <laughs> it rarely works out. And, you know... <clears throat> I actually had really serious Danes on a on a book about synchronized swimming, a novel about about a an alternate in a synchronized swimming group because cool. I thought it was really sad and interesting. Like the when you're in the Olympics and you're doing synchronized swimming, um, you you as an alternate you have to learn all the parts and then you're rarely called to serve. Oh to kick and to spin yeah. <laughs> but it turns out it's really hard to describe that stuff wow and 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 so i just kind of hung out in the sad feeling of it and and then wrote this book instead that's funny um i was thinking about that old um steve martin quote while i was reading the book uh writing about art is like dancing about architecture oh <laughs> uh, and like you know of course he even he's of course tried to write about art himself mm-hmm. but um you know writing about dance like that seems like a really particularly difficult undertaking right and Um, and especially as adora duncan being sort of yeah she you don't you can't choose like oh i'm gonna use like the 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 modern dance or or dance terms necessarily exactly i was gonna say because i really loved colin mccann's book dancer 
but he gets to lean on ballet terms, you know. Right, you can he can just say like, oh, plies and porte bras yeah, and jeté, jeté. Jetés. We were jeting all day, ruled and yeah, no. I mean, here's obviously that's one of those beautiful Colin McCann quotes. Jeting all day, it ruled. Yeah, love that part of the book. Love that. I love that. God, I love that chapter seven. But um, yeah, but with Isadora, uh. Right. The, the, when I read about people who wrote about that style, there wasn't that kind of terminology. Reading is re- reading Irma Duncan describing how to lift your arms in the style of Isadora Duncan is, uh, it's, it's just, it's kind of this mechanical, I have a little bit of it in the book, but it's really like, it's like chopped up a little bit, but like, you know, you raise your forearms until you reach your shoulders and then you raise your, your, um, lower arms and then you keep your wrists loose or whatever but but there's no terms there's no like ethos of kind of bodily terminology mm-hmm. yeah. so it's this really um hard thing and then additionally the the time period i'm focusing on she's not um dancing very much so right. <laughs> it's like the which ended up being kind of prescient to my life and now i'm in kind of an interesting like fallow time mm. probably politically but due to politics but but like um you know kind of kind of watching the world as an artist or feeling like a former artist in a funny way and right. kind of watching the world go and and not wanting to engage it artistically and she kind of looks at the world jaggering by and kind of half thinks of choreography and then kind of loses it and yeah um yeah yeah so it was <coughs> it was um it was a challenge and and I think the the book it's it's very interesting because I, the book keeps getting um assigned for these wonderful and generous and thoughtful reviews but the reviewers are often dancers or they're additionally dancers <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and the, there's a sometimes a little bit of like where, well where's the where's dance, the dance? <laughs> which is like an amazing like an excellent question and a natural one because the book is about a dancer right um but there's actually not a lot of dance in it it's more about it's more about making art did you watch of, some dance though well, mm-hmm. or like did you watch Sure. I mean, I, I did I did two dance classes at the Mary Sano Dance Studio Ooh, cool. in San Francisco. Yeah, that must have been fun. It was fun. I mean, I you know, I live in Los <laughs> Angeles. I know about Pilates. I do some <laughs> yoga. I'm not some idiot, but like, man, uh, it was it was it was quite challenging. Mm-hmm. It was like um, each class was was three and a half hours, and we spent about an hour looking at um greek mythology and photographs Mm. and sculptures photographs of sculptures and it's kind of interesting like holistic education way and then um and then we did some stretching which i was very familiar with and then the dancing part which was the last maybe hour and a half um where where you're supposed to you know you're supposed to traipse across the stage and and draw your hand back and bring your like kind of make a waving motion to bring your fellows along and it's just like i was just like a garbage fire <laughs> that part was not good not good it was like not very coordinated and and i don't know that was the kind of it was a fascinating thing because the it's supposed to it's supposed to appear natural but it's actually very practiced and studied which is also um it's also like writing i found so Mm. that was a natural kind of connection for me
said, it's such a book about grief, yeah. mm-hmm. which I feel like is almost as difficult, if not more difficult, to to write about coherently than dance well, or thanks. than art. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm wondering what it was like to live in writing this like 400 page book about very deep grief. That's a, yeah, total sadness. Yeah, <coughs> my my friend Susan said I just. I didn't know you were going through that stuff. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it was two and a half years of generation and then, you know, two and a half years of editing. Um, yeah, it's tough. It was tough. But I guess when I come to write anything, it's with a curiosity. And and it's a little bit of like coming with from, from outside of it a little. Mm. Um I think it would be a really different book if I had children and Mm. I know, you know, some friends of mine who have children who started reading it and they say, you know, it's very beautiful and I love it. I, I had to put it down though because it's definitely about child death for 400 pages. (laughs) But you know, for me as like, uh, I, I don't know, some, some person in the world and curious about that whole aspect of human life. I, um, couldn't help but, explore it and um and it was also it was also interesting that i i wrote a lot of it while i had a full-time job so i was working in advertising and there was this kind of funny um um split in my mind between working on this kind of very heavy very involved thing but then necessarily having to turn my mind to sell sausage sandwiches for jimmy dean or or, you know (laughs) flights on southwest or banner ads for nissan and you know and it really it's like that's the great thing about a job is that it kind of takes you by both shoulders and pulls you out of whatever kind of pit you've dug yourself into that morning wow Um, yeah there's a point at the end of the book um where Maybe you have it marked, Drew. Oh yeah, the uh, the doctor. Yeah. Yeah, where so she she is about to start performing again, and she wants to perform, and she's had a nervous breakdown basically, mm-hmm. and the she's like the, a doctor shows up, and she's like, no, you have to. I'm not gonna rest. You need to prescribe whatever. And the mm-hmm. uh, he wrote a neurasthenic diagnosis compounded by the stress of a small dressing room for treatment. He prescribed fatty meats and bread along with dark beer and regular walks with only one weekend's worth of suggested rest. Mm-hmm. Condition of the artist. Yes. Uh, what is your condition of the artist? <laughs> yeah. I would like to be a neurasthenic, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Right, in that, in that bit, which I drew from her autobiography, and it's hard to tell what in that was real or false, but I, like, <laughs> I really I liked the story. Um, they're trying to diagnose her as a hysteric, which is where that's when you get shipped off and, and you don't get to work anymore. Um, but she wanted the neurasthenic diagnosis, the kind of generalized depression that the diagnosis, the prescription at the time was like, cheer up (laughs) (laughs) over it, eat some bread. Um, and it was literally, yeah. So only dark beer, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Dark beer is my own invention, but yeah, you know, um, so, so she, she had to fight for it. So she claims. And so I write that, that scene and yeah, I guess, I guess mine, my condition would be the same. I like to keep it simple in terms of my own generalized illness. I, I, I was telling a friend that last night, uh, 
of when I was editing the novel and it was again two and a half years and that sort of you know not to martyr myself on it but like a slow process of kind of picking through a repicking and you start feeling like you're in a landfill but you're also made of trash and (laughs) it's a hard mix and um my therapist at the time was trying to kind of pull me out of that conceptually and I I remember telling her listen I'm I'm like uh, there's just going to be a time here where it's just going to look a little bit like a little bit mentally ill and it's just going to that's going to be what it is okay <laughs> like I'm not I'm not going to go out with my friends I'm not going to like do a meditation I'm going to just I'm just going to edit the book for like mm, I want to say like 20 hours a day for the next uh, 6 months <laughs> and, and it was and it was just you know cuz I have to cuz right. I just know it's got to it's got to come out people read it i i want it to be right i've it's got to all the sentences have to be good and that's really hard like you know all that <laughs> stuff you know when you said your friend read the galley i got nervous cuz the gap between the galley and the final is pretty in my mind is pretty rough it's a big jump in nobody else's mind but in my <laughs> mind it's like god i had so much to fix then cuz i was the galley came and then I, I like quit my job to be like, okay, now I'm really going to get into this book. <laughs> it was like, wow. Um, but yeah, it was, um, I guess that's the deal. A little bit of, um, a little bit of dark beer goes a long way. <laughs> Amen. Mm-hmm. So let's change gears. Yeah. And talk about the book you brought. Yes. Uh, Nicotine by Nell Zink. Nicotine by Nell Zink. Tell us why why you brought this book to us. Yeah, so when I saw Nell Zink introduce the book, she was reading at Skylight in Los Angeles. and mm. Beautiful story. Beautiful yeah, story. Oh, right. yeah, it's my favorite. But um, she was saying, you know, my intention was to write a multi-character, multi-year family epic set in Europe, uh, and in multiple languages, a historical fiction kind of novel. But instead, my agent said that if I if I wrote a book in six months, she could sell it for a lot of money. So I wrote nicotine. And it, was just, <laughs> it was this this wild thing, and um, and I came up after and I said funny, but I wrote a multi history, multi year historical fiction set in Europe and multi languages and. She was like, well, what's your name? <laughs> she was like very gracious and whatever, ephemeral in the kind of Berliner way, I guess. But um, yeah, so I was kind of simultaneously curious of and resentful of the book. <laughs> but I but I really liked I really liked Miss Laid and mm-hmm. I and I read and enjoyed Wall Creeper. And yeah, so it was kind of, you know, and, yeah. yeah, I wanted to. Nell is the kind of writer that I I really am interested in like all of it. Like what is she doing immediately? What's she thinking about this year mm-hmm. kind of thing? And so this was, this was great. So I, so yeah, uh, I've been meaning to read it. It's been on my, on my side table and I thought maybe we'd read it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Drew, do you want to tell everybody what it's about? Sure. It is, it is a family saga mm-hmm. and it does take place in multiple countries a little bit. The beginning takes place in an, an oh, yeah. another country. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is this young woman, uh, her father has just died and he was loomed large in her life. Yeah. He was kind of a, uh, he was not a faith healer, but he was like a, like kind a of the head of a cult 
kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. but like yeah. in a in like a nicer way. Right. Um, Head of a commune. Yeah. Cult but guys he also, are usually pretty nice. Though. Yeah. He <laughs> had he had a bunch of property and all this, and he has two sons from an earlier marriage, and the two sons, the second wife, and and the Penny, the main character, are the ones who are left, mm-hmm. and uh, Penny is given the job of going to her grandparents' house, which is where he grew up, and like seeing what they can do with it because they thought the house burned down and it turns out that it has been inhabited by a bunch of squatters who are also tobacco rights activists. Right. Yeah. The house is called Nicotine and they're in New Jersey. Yeah. They're in, they're in Jersey, Jersey City, City. where I used to live and um, oh. I felt like I understood <laughs> some of the, like I knew, I know exactly the streets that they're talking about. Like, and it was very exciting when you're like the Grove Street stop. You want to shout out like yeah, <laughs> like it's like you're at a concert like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah at the book yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Grove Street stop. <laughs> so it was really interesting to read something about Jersey City that was so. Uh, I just kept nodding my head along with it like yep, yeah, that's that's really Jersey yeah. yeah, and uh, so these squatters, I mean. That that's what she's populating the novel with, and what and the bulk of it is is their um, fight for rights and and the keeping the house from the owner, which is Penny, which is, weird, <laughs> yeah. which is funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about Nell Zink's biography, and I I guess I don't. I like to read books on their own without that stuff anyway. Yeah. But, um, but it, it was such a reading it right now in you know August 2017 was yeah. was really kind of interesting because see you see all these different these different houses and they all stand for different things and and there's the nicotine rights and there's the feminist collective and there's a there's a point in the book when Penny's trying to decide where to go flop and which house to flop in because there's no space there's no bedroom in nicotine. And and so it's kind of she's trying to navigate what what the different houses believe in. There's the my favorite the DJD the mm-hmm. Donald Judd Daypad house. <laughs> did anyone? Did you guys Google what that is? Is it a literal day Donald Donald Judd made a daybed? Yeah. Oh no, uh, tell us. It's it it, <laughs> it is like the least designy, but it's it's it does look enormous, and they all like <laughs> flop and 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 sleep there. Right. Like the all but of the characters. All, yeah, and it's like. It's enormous. It is big, uh-huh. and it but it really looks like um, like unfinished IKEA wood. Yeah, like, whoops, great. Uh, yeah, so you, I don't know. Huh. <laughs> it's it's a very strange thing that I because I had to see what they were all yeah. sleeping on because it is a huge setting for the entire book. Like a right. lot of important things. Like they all actually quit smoking cigarettes on this. Oh on yeah, the bed, uh, like, Donald Day bed, <laughs> um, and it's a real thing. You should right. look it up because it's like silly yeah it is silly well yeah it's all i mean it's all i read it as you know the the kind of satire of of sort of people trying to find a cause first like finding a cause Mm -hmm. is like a functional thing as opposed to like a belief-based thing and and the 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 people who she meets are all seem to kind of believe in in whatever it is like sorry the character Mm -hmm. sorry believes in is that nicotine because she's medicating for her manic depressive diagnosis right so she believes that cigarettes are medicine right yeah right which is really yeah it's i I found that all that stuff to be satirically pretty elegant yeah well i i'm kind of curious if you guys thought that 
the satire in this book was like acid tongued or if it was like sweeter, like she believes in them, but it's like, come on, you guys are a little silly. Let's be honest here. I guess that's the question, Mm. right? Because, because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, what's the word kind of straightforward earnestness is there as they're discussing things. But then, you know, the, the inhabitants of DJD are talking about, about dismantling the Donald Judd day bed to use for firewood, that kind Mm. of thing, which is, um, yeah, there well, is something very earnest about the book, even though I think the satire is often very sharp. Mm-hmm. But as I was reading it, and this is this is my first Nell Zink, I like missed the wave with the Wallcraper and Mislaid, and I was so pleasantly surprised to discover that the book it kind of exists in a plot of just like a, a like early two thousands dramedy like maybe like jason bateman was in yeah feels like the plot of rent a little bit yeah there's like there's something very um simple is is feels like too derogatory or pejorative of a word but it's just like you read it and you're like oh i know this story Hmm. but it, it has these things that are placed on top of it and these really sharp barbs and just like these great turns of phrase Mm -hmm. that elevate and make you think about the things maybe farther than they are on the page yeah i i um i found myself thinking about greta gerwig or something like that that was Mm -hmm. like it was definitely like the indie movie sort of feel especially just because you know dealing with jersey city or or um or the sort of crunchy granola culture like it it's hard to um it's hard to portray that earnestly I feel right. like anytime you start to talk about it and and just use it in the terms that are talked about, mm-hmm. I think it's it feels petty for some yeah. reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's helpful that the protagonist immediately falls in love with one of the guys, like mm-hmm. the crunchiest guy, the asexual Rob. Right. Yeah. You know, and and then follows this kind of weird ass. <laughs> <laughs> I I yeah. I definitely would feel like I may be like an an asexual person who was brought to this book would be a little disappointed by by how that all all went down although although you see him kind of being like uh like beleaguered by her forever advances and he he often calls his previous sexual experiences as rape and Mm -hmm. in a way that's like very it felt a little bit i don't know i don't know if 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 somebody would be disappointed it's not i mean that's the thing about nell zinc it's like she's she's not treating things with with care but she is coming to what with what feels like some knowledge and some understanding the way she writes about activism mm-hmm. yeah. and being an activist. Like there's this, I wanted this little paragraph. Um, she says, um, let's see. So, okay. So this character is kind of reading things for the, for the HIV action news and this really sad story that she can't read properly. And then, and then she finds out that, that, the that, the, the aunt of the people she's reading about is kind of profiting off it. Anyway, so she goes downstairs again, and I read it perfectly on the first take in this calm, perfect voice, because instead of pity, I feel this indescribable, steely anger, this really weird anger, where you realize taking no prisoners means working with anybody and everybody who might help, never judging. That's the moment when when I became a real activist, which I think is absolutely true to the activist society. And you know that kind of that kind of world where you're just 
this kind of separate from the kind of cultural judgment zone of people who don't want your money necessarily. The activists are kind of like, no, no, it's fine. I would. <laughs> well, it's strange to read this book in light in light of particularly recent events. It's mm. strange to read everything in the wake of the last ten months, mm-hmm. which I feel like I have said on every single episode <laughs> of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking about activism, like the scene where they all go to a protest at the Freedom Tower. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God. And thinking, but also thinking about the way that, like, that that moment looks different now. It looks different when you were listening to this than it did when I read this book at the end of July. Yeah. Like, there's there's a dramatic shift that has happened, and I'm... I'm now very curious to see, I have to imagine, she seems like somebody who is like, hell yeah, let's burn it all down. I'm mm-hmm. going to write it in a book. Mm-hmm. I want to see her book that's just like her next book yeah. of, fuck it, blow the whole thing up. Right. Yeah, I definitely was like yelling at the book of like, no, don't do that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't uh, protest there. That's not going to work out okay. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. I think everyone should check out what Nelzink is up to. I think she's like very strange and I would, you know, her, she never goes on for very long. You yeah. Know, like she's a quick read. Um, and, and she's not like her, I don't know. I feel like she has sort of a Jonathan friends and protege stamp on her a little bit. Right. I, I missed it not living in New York and I found that out later. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, and so I wonder, I, you know, she's not like him actually no, that much. No. Uh, so, I think that they both have a similar ear for dialogue and I think maybe that's it. Um, well, he knows Helen, I guess he can read a good book. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I, I think everyone should check out what she's doing. It's been a while. I think since I've read a book by a novelist where I'm like, Holy shit, where did this person come from? And now I have to go read more. Yeah, yeah. totally. That's interesting because I know that she's also like a completist when she starts reading somebody's work, she reads all of their work and I've heard that, you know, that I can know that feeling so well. <laughs> <laughs> but I I get that feeling reading her in an yeah. interesting way. I wonder yeah. if one follows the other, if it just is an interesting coincidence. But she just everything feels really like alive and vibrant and mm. and, you know, really nice. Even when I, you know, I didn't I actually didn't finish Wall Creeper because even though it I loved it. It was an interesting thing where as I was reading it, it was kind of like an incredibly rich meal. And, and I was just finally, I was like, Oh man, (laughs) (laughs) do like a slower burn thing, you know? And it's like, no, that's like when, you know, a friend says that they put down his Dora because it was too sad. It's like, absolutely. It's incredibly sad. (laughs) I don't think I'd be doing my job if I wrote a child death novel that wasn't incredibly sad. So, You know, I think in that that was what she was going for with Wall Creeper. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, why don't we uh, why don't we talk about other books we also recommend too? Oh, sure. Yeah. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. Uh. Why don't you start start us in that direction, Drew? Okay. Um, another 
FSG Originals author who made the leap to FSG, period. Um, <laughs> Catherine Lacey's new book, The Answers, yes. which is another uh, meditation on a kind of grief in a very different way. I read that book and it it captivated me in a way. I don't I don't know that it was the most uh, successful novel, mm. but I was fascinated with what she was doing, and I wanted to the whole time I was reading it, even as I was like, "Oh yeah, okay." I in the back of my mind, I was like, "Wow, there's some shit going on here." Yeah. Um, Did you read her first one? I loved her first one. Nobody's yeah. ever missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was super excited for this and to see the progression of, of what she's working with and how she's working is just fascinating. Like I'm imagining that this book, uh, the answers might end up being that like sort of forgotten except by a cult, like the second record from Mm -hmm. a, a band where they're like, they go on to have huge successes and their debut was of course great. But like, the true fans know this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're standing for Lacey on Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's cool. Just, it's like, it's weird and it's cool. And if I think if you catch it at the right moment, it's it's great. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you're looking at me. We're looking at each other. <laughs> <laughs> why, don't you, uh, why don't you tell our listeners what you recommend? <laughs> I mean, I can't recommend Valparaiso Round the Horn highly enough. It's Madeline Fitch. Fitch is spelled F-F-I-T-C-H. It's very good. Mm. I think you can catch some online. Um, I love that. I I also am into, um, let's see. I'm really into uh, Kristen Iskandrian's book, Motherist. Uh, which was a, a novel. It's coming of age. I feel like every year, once a year, I've got, I'm like, okay, coming of age, slide it in. Yeah. Let's see. Nice. Hit, hit me with one. <laughs> hit me with it. No, 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 no. Um, and it's one of the, it's one of the livelier, funnier um, books. I think f- f- fans of the mothers would love it. It's, mm. and there's a line in, in Kristen's book that's like, um, the the girl's walking through the hallway and and in she's in high school and and she says something like my face was out of control, <laughs> which is just <laughs> the combo of like the kind of acneic mm-hmm. situation and also like not even knowing how to move your face to n- appear like a human being. <laughs> <laughs> it was very very reliable content yeah. for me. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. That Christopher, sounds really good. Do you want to round us out? Yeah, I'm actually going to recommend um, a not not even a book at all. I'm Is it an app? No, it's not an app. <gasps> I love apps. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, no, I'm really sorry. It's just a documentary. Oh. Cool. Uh, cool, cool, cool. It's called "We Live in Public," um, and it won the Sundance Grand Jury Prize in 2009. Um, and I've I had a copy of it forever, and I finally watched it. It is one of the it's one of these things where i can't stop i cannot stop talking about it thinking about it telling people to watch it like showing people the trailer on my phone <laughs> at a bar so that they can know oh, and now guy. talk to me about it <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I've been that guy recently <laughs> about this this particular thing. That guy since 1985. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, it's about this guy who uh, made an incredible amount of money in the dot com boom, making the first internet television um, place what called Sudo. Oh. Uh, and it, uh, and then he sort of turned his back on that and threw a what he called a, a physical rep- representation of what he thought the future of the internet would be. And he called Whoa. it quiet. We live in public. And it's this crazy 30 day, <laughs> um, 150 sleeping pod hotel that he put under complete surveillance that people signed up for in 1999. What? Whoa. It's insane. Um, and, and totally unreal. The entire, the entire documentary and then that's like only the first half of it um and then now i'm just googling everything that like wired or um the new york observer or new york magazine said about this guy because he was such like a big deal in the new in new york scene he set up this that weird 150 person hotel underneath manhattan like (laughs) in the basement of pseudo's offices i mean it's an it's a crazy story wow uh everyone needs to watch it and it's it just completely changes your thinking about where we've moved and it's uh, one of those things that really makes you think about what you share online and what we've decided is okay since then because like you know 18 years on it's sort of crazy how much he had right huh. <laughs> cool i want to go watch it now yeah you should it's really good <laughs> uh so that's it that's what i recommend and, cool. and that's uh and we i also recommend uh checking out our um patreon if you're listening to our show and enjoying it yes indeed uh we really appreciate people contributing and making this a listener supported show um and also we really love when you guys write an itunes review uh we haven't had one since like june oh so come on guys well, I can do that. <laughs> i'll review it nice yeah. amelia's yeah. gonna do it be, be cool like amelia join me you know what i think we'll do Let's do an exquisite corpse on your iTunes reviews. <laughs> yes. I think that would be fun. Come join the story. <laughs> Please do that. Oh my God, I love that idea. Let's do it. Cool. All right, well, cool. Thanks, thank everybody. you, Amelia. Yeah, thank, thank you, Amelia. Guys. Thanks for coming by. Uh, and, and thank uh, you, listener. Yeah, we'll see you all soon. Yep. Bye. Not see you, Bye. but you know what I mean. Okay, not if I see you first. Having trouble telling how I feel, but I... And on stones, stones. Couldn't possibly tell you how I mean, but I.